Um, let me pray, and then we'll read Psalm 133. I'm going to chat about the hope we have in food. And we're going to celebrate tonight. It's been an incredible week. It really has. It's been an incredible week. It's been a really busy week. It's been a heavy week, but it's been a winning week. It's a week of hope. So um, let me open us in prayer, and we'll dive in. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for our family gathered here for this place, for this time for this week, for the battles won, and for the battles ahead. So bless us, Lord, strengthen us in the work that you've called us to do, and may we do it all for the glory of your name. Amen. Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Amen. Good evening. Good evening. Much better. It's good to see everybody. It's to do with the card, too. So, the question for you as we open this evening, other than good old-fashioned, good-natured mischief, what do you think about when you think about the outpost? What comes to mind when you think about coming to the outpost? Food? Drink? Fellowship? I hope so. hope those three make the top, the glory of God above all of those. But especially food and drink. This is a place of food. Whether you come here for the outpost or you come here on any other evening, there is always lots of food and there is always lots of drink. And when we used to do the full liturgical service, when we started the church in the backyard, I put on the bottom of the little liturgy sheets, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Jared! What's going on? I put on the, the bottom of the liturgy is 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And that kind of became the motto of the outpost. But it's bigger than that. As we started thinking about what a life of all of Christ for all of life looks like, 1 Corinthians 10.31 captures that. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all. Do it all for the glory of God. And so I wanted to focus tonight in our Summer of Hope on the eating and the drinking part. And then we have so many incredible things to celebrate this week, and we'll talk about that at the end, and that'll be the way we get to festively go into the evening as we prepare our hearts for tomorrow for worship. But what I want to think about, what I want to think about tonight is specifically about the glory of food and the glory of drink and how we can use those things for righteousness and, and how we can use them also for unrighteousness. And then I want to close kind of with this idea of the hope of the table and the hope of what we have here, hospitality around the table. So food, food has always been a big part of religious activities. When I was Jewish, there was a joke when you'd like show up at a Jewish holiday and people would be like, why are we even here? And then somebody would say, well, it's simple. There was a war. We won. Let's eat. Which is pretty great when you think about it. And actually, I think tonight, I think we can say the same thing. We have been in a war. We've been in a war against our faith. There's still many battles, many battles to fight. But there's been a war, and this week we won some incredible battles, right? And so we can say there was a war, we won, and in a little bit we're going to joyously say, let's eat. So we eat at times of celebration. We also eat in times of mourning. If you come into a house of mourning or you're with people who are in suffering, what's something that we usually provide people? Or, or parents with new babies or people in difficult circumstances. Can we send you food? Can we bring you food? Uh, we were at a church a couple years ago that used meal train 
to schedule out and get food to, to folks in the church. So we have food at events where we rejoice. We have food when we mourn. And of course, we all know that we need sustenance. We actually need food for sustenance. I was thinking about this. Before you guys, if you had come 10 minutes early, you would have seen Ricky on a halter running around eating his goat's heart desire out of all the low-hanging branches and trees and leaves and the things. But So Ricky and, and the chickens and the dog and the cats and the rest of the animals, they all need food. They need sustenance. But you don't see, like, the cat holding a dinner party in the garage. Hey, you guys should come over and share this mouse that I just caught. In fact, we have a stray cat, like another neighborhood stray cat. I walked into the garage the other night, and this thing came running at me, and it wasn't our cat. And my cat's like the barn cat's hissing at the stray cat. Like, the cats aren't inviting each other over for dinner. They're not looking for fellowship, right? They're possessive of their food. They're growling at each other over their food. It's, it's the same with the rest of the farm animals. So then the question is, what, does it separate, what is it that separates us from animals? It's kind of funny, because that's a question we should probably be talking a lot more about in like the Denver culture of, let's have like a couple that maybe they're going to be really bougie and they won't actually get married because they're going to be super European, but they're not going to have a kid, but the dog's going to be a kid kind of a thing. You know, your, your pets, as much as you love them, aren't human. Now, we have a responsibility to care for them appropriately, have dominion over them. But there is a difference between animals and human, and, and it's our status as image bearers. God created us in his image, and so our status as image bearers elevates us above animals. And part of being an image bearer is being a creator, right? We give things new life. We build things. We take a, a smorgasbord of things, and we build new things out of them. We, we make new things from other things. Indy Wilson calls it unlocking cheat codes in life. He's like, God left all these cheat codes around for you to find, like coffee. Who was the first person who figured out coffee, though? Smoking the meats. What would you say? Somebody in Thailand figured out coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, David. And so somebody had to unlock these cheat codes, right? They had to, to find these hidden things inside of God's economy and then make something of them, create something of them. And only image bearers, only image bearers can do that. And so food has always placed, placed, or played sorry, this important role in the human experience, even more so than any other animal. And so much so that God gives man rules around eating. Very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 15 through 16. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, and that's not the verse that I really wanted to read from Genesis. It's like, that is a great verse from Genesis, but not the verse from Genesis that I wanted to, to read. Um, but we know that God made all of the things on earth for man to eat. We, we know that in the dominion mandate in 126. That was a good verse, though. I, mean, I like all of Genesis. Uh, let's see here. Genesis 126. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and then let them have dominion. Flip the page. Over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the sea and the birds and the heavens and every living thing that moves uh, on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed, its fruit, and you shall have them for food. 
he gives food. And later on, because he realized meat was really good. 9-3. And every moving thing. Ugh. Woo, spider. Get that off me. Every, did I get it? Did I kill it? My goodness gracious. Every moving thing, including the spider that was just on me. Man, I'm going to run around and jump around. If you guys see that thing, and I scream. What do you say? That's fine. Uh, <laughs> that is an alien. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I gave you the green plants. I give you everything. Everything. So God has been directly involved with man when it comes to food. And don't forget the Israelites. Remember the Israelites? They were wandering once, and they're grumbly, and they're upset. They're in the wilderness, and they're complaining. So what does God do? He gives them bread from heaven. Exodus 16, 9 through 12. Then Moses said to Aaron, Save the whole congregation of the people of Israel. Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation, the people of Israel, they, I feel the spider over me all the time now. As soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel and said to them, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And don't forget Jesus. Jesus fed all kinds of people. He fed the 5,000. Unfortunately for John MacArthur, he turned the water into wine, not grape juice. But, but don't forget also, there's another side. The table and food is also used as a way to condemn Jesus. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribe again grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, food and drink and the table have always been this important part of man's existence. And it's actually for good reason. Because think about where it culminates for us as a, as a church, as a worship service, a covenant renewal worship. It culminates at the table in the remembrance of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It all culminates in a meal at a table. There's also some negative religious issues with food as well. When I was Jewish, I tried to keep kosher. Tried is the key word. <laughs> if you want an exercise in futility, and no longer enjoying food, you should try to keep kosher. You see, the laws of kashrut, kosher, they're incredibly complex, like seriously complex. Like rabbis go to school just to study the laws of kosher and then take big tests just so that they can study the legalism behind food being kosher. And it doesn't even mean holy. It just means fit or separated. It just means it meets the standard of certain Levitical laws that the Pharisees then bastardized and expanded on and created all of these religious food laws out of. So there's no blessing. It just means fit. This is my favorite part of all that I wrote. It means it meets the Pharisees' law. So if you have meat that meets the Pharisees' law, it's kosher meat. And I just wanted to say meat that meets the Pharisees' law. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you see, these laws are incredibly complicated. 
and and they're if you've had any opportunity to experience them or try to live under them, they're this incredible example of the over-legalization of the law by those who wish to distort it for control. And religious Jews then and religious Jews now will claim that, that this, this process of eating kosher brings them closer to God, and I, I think that's hogwash from my own personal experience. Because you're so busy worrying constantly about when you can have milk after you've had meat, or if you're on the right set of dishes, or if that's the right cut of meat, and it can't have any blood because you've got to salt it all beforehand. And there's all these incredibly complex rules that go around eating that you're actually missing the whole point of the beauty that there is in eating. It's hard to enjoy the steak when you're wondering if the steak is kosher enough. And then there's like different levels of kosher. There's a thing called glat, glat kosher, which is like super kosher. They go and cut the lungs of the animals open to make sure there's no spores. So it's like extra clean animals. It's crazy, and you pay a whole bunch more for that too. True story. Look what Paul says in Romans 14, 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Now, Paul's talking about a larger com uh, in larger context here, but he, he is addressing the laws of kosher. What, what he's saying in the subcontext is everything's clean to eat. Now, we don't want to make our neighbor stumble, but, but his point is that everything is clean to eat because it's actually not about the legalistic approach, approach to food. Jesus will tell us, uh, and we'll get to there in church, about it's not about what goes in your mouth. It's about comes out of your mouth. We're going to talk about speech tomorrow. It's not about the food that you're about to eat. It's about how you're approaching the food. It's about how we get to glorify God through food. And it's important to remember this because what is Scripture also referred to in Hebrews as? It's referred to as food in 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So we can see in all of these different places, food is important between the creator and his created. So the way we approach it, the way we think about it is going to be important. So like I said, it can be used righteously or unrighteously. You see, God creates food and then Satan created McDonald's. <laughs> God creates food. Satan creates whatever Bill Gates is trying to manufacture genetically that he's calling meat. Don't eat that. Satan created McDonald's. I, I kid, but I'm not really kidding. <laughs> what we eat matters, right? Just because food is good for us doesn't mean we idolize it or we become gluttons. Just because it tastes good definitely doesn't mean it's good for you. If you read all around Proverbs, there are the warnings of the dangers of gluttony and drunkenness. Paul gives us these similar warnings. So you shouldn't just eat 15 Big Macs because you can eat 15 Big Macs or you can afford 15 Big Macs. It's called discernment. God gave you a brain on purpose to use it. So we must be discerning about our approach to food. And of course, how we approach it, like I said at the beginning, is different than any other animal because we can beautify our food. We can glorify God through the way that we eat. We can transform our food. No other creature transforms or beautifies their food. I don't see the cat lighting the fire at night and then ro spit roasting the mice. Oh, they taste way better, crunchy. <laughs> Which I'm sure they probably do. Oh, wow. This is, this is, we gotta, we're getting hustle time. It's starting to get windy. So, right, the dog will eat the raw steak. It'll eat the nasty steak in the trash can, or it'll eat the seasoned steak. 
Grace does not share her preference to me on what type of steak she wants to eat. But I have a preference. I care. My taste buds are directed to certain types of food. My taste buds are directed to certain types of spices. And so I use a bunch of seasonings, right? And I create and I beautify when I do that. And we all create because we're image bearers of a creator. And so we get to, what's going on? It's good to see you guys. So we get to, when we eat and when we cook, hi grandma, we get to beautify, beautify that experience because you're not your dog. You actually care about what you eat. And food can be a spiritual experience. Barbecue for me is almost always a spiritual experience. But what I mean by, <laughs> what I mean by this, it's a spiritual experience, it isn't like some transcendental, like Gnostic, I don't know, the barbecue is pretty good though. <laughs> but but what it, the reason it's a spiritual experience is when you eat really good food, it reminds you of God's goodness to you. God has given us endless options of tasty foods. Kristen came in yesterday with snap peas that were growing in the front, and I just put them on my desk, and I ate 100% organic fresh snap peas from my front yard, which is great. We have 100% organic chickens, too. <laughs> Free range as well. <laughs> but it, it's beautiful. It's great. It's a reminder as you eat a good meal that God has blessed you with good food, that he's given you all of these incredible options, that, that, that there's hope. There's absolutely hope. The world is getting better, that we live in these hopeful times. You all have access to more fresh food than anybody in the history of ever. Ever. We have homeless people that are obese. You have to get your brain wrapped around that. I'm not saying that we don't need to work on the homelessness problem. We do. My approach is totally different than the city of Denver's approach. But we have obese homeless people. That's never been a thing in the history of ever. We have access to more fresh food now than any other time in the history of man. You can get out of season everything. You can be on the East Coast and you can get fresh fish from the West Coast that was flown the same day. And if you're rich enough, you can just fly it yourself. Well, you have other people fly it for you and load it in the baggage compartment for you, but that's another thing altogether. You see, man's creative technology, using the gifts that God has given him, has invented all different kinds of ways to prepare and cook food, and to store food, and to keep food fresh. Bless you. Now, there's evil things too. Like I said before, there's genetically modified impossible burgers. That's not a thing. The Bill Gates no-meat meat. Hard pass on that. But then there's all these great things too. Look at meat smoking alone. There are so many smoker choices, so many different types of wood. That's just for cooking meat over fire. <laughs> fire! So our food choices and our creativity with our food choices are ways that we see and we get to live out the beauty of God's creation real time. We have these friends. They're wonderful. But the husband is like kind of a curmudgeon, but a delightful one. And he can't figure out why we always talk about food and why we're always trying to cook food. Because for him, it's just purely, it's purely an act of eating sustenance. It's not purely an act of eating sustenance, right? It's about creating. It's about beautifying. Anthony Bourdain said, good food is very often, even most often, simple food. Good food is actually most often simple food. It's simple flavors. It's, it's simple combinations. And they're put together and paired together well. You pair that with good drink, good wine, good whiskey, good water, not Denver water. And what happens? It makes the heart glad. Denver water gives you heart chemicals <laughs> and a lot of fluoride. 
But these are reminders of all of the joy that we get to experience in being created in the image of God, in being his image bearers, in, in being unique in all of his created order. And then this is, this is the most exciting part, and I'm going to go quick before the wind gets us. What happens when we share food with others? We get to be in fellowship. So look how much of our life is done with other people at a table. What are you doing tomorrow? I don't know. Well, come over for dinner. I mean, everyone's got to eat, right? Everyone's got to eat, right? When you're, when you're dating somebody or courting somebody, where do you usually go? You go out for a meal. And what happens when you have a good meal with good drink? You get laughter and connection. You get koinonia. It's the, the, the word for fellowship. And that's something that we get to witness here every single week. We witness it every Saturday, and then we witness it in kind of the revolving door of people that are, are over on the other nights. Food, this, this thing we get to beautify, create, and enjoy, allows us to extend hospitality to other human beings. Acts 2, 46-47, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They broke bread in their homes and with glad and generous hearts, praising God for favor with all people. Glad and generous hearts, breaking bread, and praising God. That is what the table's place is. It's a place to break bread, to be glad, and to praise God. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And see, here's the deal. You can't grumble because if you're grumbly, you can't be in joy. You can't be in those two mindsets at the same time. So the table is the place where we share the joys of God. And that's why the table here is so important. But then, like we said earlier, the table becomes even more important because the table is the culmination of where we come together as a church body. Where, where we come together not just in remembrance, but we actually come together to participate in a meal with Jesus in joy. He invites us to the table. It's why it's so great to have kids come to the table because they get to participate in joy in a meal with Jesus. And so he invites us to his table, so we invite others to our table. Listen to these words that I say at the end of, of the liturgy and communion. It says, Father in heaven, we thank you that you have fed us in this sacrament, united us with Christ, and given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet in your eternal kingdom. See, I believe that if we eat, drink, and do everything to the glory of God, that we, we live out the hope that we have in Christ here, that we get to experience this heavenly eternal banquet as we participate in fellowship with one another. And we experience it not because we're in some like legalistic way about eating, but because we're in this joyful way of being in gratitude for the gifts that God has given us. All of these gifts for us to share, for our dominion. And so we should rejoice every time we eat. Thank you, Lord, for making the food taste good. Thank you, Lord, for making the whiskey so great, for the pork belly, for the cheese, for the noodles. Thank you for the palates that we have to taste the food for the preferences, for the cultural dishes to share. See, our table should be this inviting place that's open to everybody. We should break bread and proclaim the goodness of God with them. And, and if you're really trying to live a life for all of Christ, you're going to include your eating and your drinking in that. So my, my encouragement, my charge, I want you to think about the food that you eat, the drink that you drink, and how it's all there that, for you to glorify the Lord, and how it's a reminder for you about his incredible hand in everything. So tonight we're going to eat all this deliciousness, and I want it to remind you specifically that God is good. So we shouldn't tarry any longer because we have much to celebrate tonight. As I said, this, 
earlier, there's a war. There's a war on our faith. But there have been incredible wins. A year ago, the Supreme Court overturned Roe. People never believed that Roe would be overturned. There's a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of babies being murdered. But the Supreme Court overturned Roe. And then this week, this week, the Supreme Court determined that it is, it's still illegal to fight racism with racism. <laughs> that if, if you think there's a problem with racism, that the answer is not more racism. So that's great. That's great. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, we found out that the First Amendment still exists in Colorado, that you as a business owner can bake a cake for whoever you want to bake a cake for or not bake a cake, or make a website, or not make a website, because your freedom of speech actually still matters, because the Constitution is still actually a thing. And then did you hear about the postal worker that sued for the mandatory work on Sundays and getting fired for it? Your religious liberties are still protected by law. That employers can't make unreasonable requests on your religious liberties. That is a huge win. So these are big battles, and there are many more battles to be fought. But we should rejoice and we should celebrate in the ones that are won because it gives us hope because things are getting better and we're going to keep fighting and we're going to keep pushing against clown world and we're going to eat really good food while we do it. So these are things that are great to celebrate, so let's go sing and we're going to eat and we're going to drink and we're going to do it all for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Amen.